J.C. Corcoran Podcast. Well, I went to the doctor. I said, I'm feeling kind of rough. Let me break it to you, son. Your shit's fucked up. I said, my shit's fucked up. Well, I don't see how. He said, the shit that used to work won't work now. I had a dream. Ah, shucks, oh well. Now it's all fucked up. It's shot to hell. Yeah, yeah, my shit's fucked up. It has to happen to the best of us. The rich folks suffer like the rest of us. It'll happen to you. That amazing grace sort of passed you by. You wake up every day. And you start to cry You wanna die But you just can't quit Let me break it on down It's the fucked up shit Yeah, my shit's fucked up I'm just getting warmed up. Happy to see you again. Don't be nervous. Don't be rocky. You're a teenage guest is jockey now. And let me begin by wishing you a beautiful look. Did that voice inside you say, I've heard it all before. It's like deja vu all over Friday, March 10th, 2023, 20 days until opening day. Bases loaded, counts one and one. Oh, that one is hit to left field. Left center, Phillips going back, hit well, and gone. Grand slam for Nolan Arenado, 4-0, Team USA. I guess we don't have to worry about him. Seems to be in mid-season form already. Man, there's a lot of stuff going on this weekend. I mean, tons of stuff. Daylight saving time, obviously. You have uh, the parade for St. Patrick's Day. The weather, by the way, does not look encouraging. Uh, it's supposed to be dry up until about noon on Saturday, and then the rain and the showers come in. Like this morning, the wind chill factor is 29, so it is going to be brutal for the parade out there on Saturday afternoon. The Battle Hawks are back in town. The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, said they're anticipating 30,000 people in the Dome for that game. 30,000. That's a lot. But I'll tell you something. I I think that some people in St. Louis 
have the right idea. They just love football and they want to go support the team. I think there's a lot of other people who think that uh, showing up is sticking it to Stan Kroenke, which, you know, I guess technically it is. But, you know, I have ex-girlfriends who don't even remember that they dated me. And I have other ex-girlfriends who are trying to forget that they did. And I think that's where Kroenke is right now. We're we're thinking that we're sticking it to somebody who doesn't even remember us. So if you're doing it for that reason, you're probably wasting your time. But the games are fun. I mean, I've watched all the games. They're really, really fun. So Battlehawks, uh, St. Patrick's Day Parade, Daylight Saving Time, and of course the Oscars, which we will get into in just a couple of seconds, digging into the archives big time today for good old Oscar stuff. How about this uh, Mexican drug cartel who... <laughs> family, I think they were from South Carolina, the woman was going to get a tummy tuck. They crossed the border and almost immediately are attacked, kidnapped, two of the people shot and killed, and apparently it was a, sta- a case of mistaken identity, that the cartel thought that these guys were the rival drug people or something, so that's why they were trying to kidnap them and they shot them and the whole thing. And so when they realized that they killed the wrong people, this is the drug cartel, people who are capable of just killing you in cold blood yesterday they're like oh oh we're sorry our bad we apologize they even wrote a letter of apology how about that polite mexican drug cartel cold-blooded killers we have labor problems at the post-dispatch and i have mixed emotions about that up until a couple of years ago i used to think that it was really seriously tragic and almost borderline dangerous when a big city does not have a reliable daily newspaper. In recent years, I don't know, I think the world has changed so much with everything having gone digital. I don't know, if they were smart, they would just get rid of the actual physical newspaper and just make the whole thing digital, put it on a platform, charge people a couple of bucks, and just go on from there. There's also so much bad blood between uh, reporters from the Post-Dispatch and members of the community. And it used to be that uh, somebody like, well, just somebody like me or somebody uh, in the public eye, just uh, somebody, a politician, sports figure, just somebody doing pop culture, broadcasting, whatever. You sort of needed the paper. You needed a guy like Jerry Berger. Well, Jerry Berger passed away. He was a good friend of mine. And, you know, they never really replaced him because how the hell do you replace Jerry Berger? And then you've got a couple of hacks at the Post-Dispatch. You have more than a couple, to be honest with you who, I don't know, I guess they think they're picking up the slack. They're totally untrustworthy and duplicitous. They're just uh, they're just bad people with bad ideas. Suspatch has written more evil shit about me since I got to St. Louis in 1984 than I can even keep track of. I used to keep a copy of everything they ever wrote about me. Now, I don't even give a shit anymore. We don't need newspapers anymore need somebody doing a daily account of what's going on, but like all that editorializing and everything. Do you pick up a newspaper to find out what some frizzy-haired bitch at the Post-Dispatch, and there's a couple of them, by the way, uh, what they think about something regarding the police situation or the crime situation or the economy? Care what, what, you know, a dozen people sit in a room think that they put in the paper trying to basically tell you what to think? Living in a rip and read society. I I think things have changed. You're always going to have the New York Times and the Washington Post and 
There'll be specialty papers and magazines, and those things are all good. But as far as a daily newspaper is concerned, especially in a city the size of St. Louis, I mean, really, come on. The same shit going on now that was going on 50 years ago. Newspaper editorial board, as far as I'm concerned, has had its chance, has had its chance for decades to, I don't know, affect change. How's that going? tell people i moved to st louis in 1984 and one of the first things i did is i parked my car uh, somewhere there was a parking lot there was a 905 liquors on on market street if you remember that and i parked my car somewhere then i went to a baseball game and after the game we said somebody said let's go over to the landing and i had never been to the landing i'd only been in town like a week i was like okay and i remember thinking to myself you're taking your life in your hands trying to cross over there, but over by Memorial Drive just to get to the arch grounds to go down to the landing. And I said, you know, why don't they build something, like a bridge or something, so that people don't have to dodge traffic? Couldn't believe there wasn't already one. And I talked about it regularly all through the 80s and 90s. It took 30 years, 30 fucking years for somebody to finally come around and say, well, we should probably do something here because we've already had people run over and it's dangerous and the arch is basically our deal and maybe we should make it a little safer for people to get over there. They finally did after 30 years. And so now if you want to be assaulted and have your car stolen, it's much easier, <laughs> it's much easier to get over there now. The union was told by the paper, they said, we want you to take furloughs. And uh, they thought about it for a week or so, and they voted the furloughs down. And so now they're back to square one. And so you may have no newspaper of any kind. I don't know where this whole thing's going to end up. Some of the writers and the editors on Saturday Night Live are threatening to walk out, by the way. All right. This story is, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't even know what, you're, what word to use to describe this story. It's just so difficult devious and at the same time fucking brilliant if you're trying to get rid of somebody and apparently tiger woods was tiger woods ex-girlfriend says he tricked her into leaving their palatial home then changed the locks 38 year old erica herman who helped nurse tiger after that horrific car crash in 2021 is now suing him for 30 million dollars in a lawsuit filed in florida she says Agents of Tiger Woods used trickery to get her to pack a suitcase for a short vacation. When she arrived at the airport, they told her she had been locked out of her residence. They informed her she was not allowed to return. This is the $48 million estate in Jupiter, Florida, where they were living until October. It's 10,000 square feet with its own golf practice course and two pools. Erica Herman is also revealing that she signed a non-disclosure agreement around the time she began dating Tiger that prevents her from ever talking about her life with the golfing legend. She's now asking a judge to toss out that NDA on the ground she may be the victim of sexual assault or harassment. In this court document obtained by Inside Edition, in answer to the question, does this case involve allegations of sexual abuse? She answers yes. But so far, there have been no specific allegations. Rachel Yucatel famously identified as mistress number one when Tiger's marriage to Elon Nordegren imploded in 2010, is speaking out about this new Tiger scandal. Place yourself in Erica Herman's shoes. What do you expect this could do to her life? Well, I've been in her shoes. She has a long fight ahead of her. And, you know, it's a David and Goliath situation. So she has to 
you know, be prepared and, and be careful. A year ago today, Tiger publicly acknowledged Erica Herman as a member of his family Hi, when he was inducted into the Golf so, Hall of Fame. I just want to say thank you to my mom, Sam, Erica, Charlie, all of you allowed me to get here. She was manager of Wood's Restaurant when they began dating in 2017. She was at his side during pivotal moments of his comeback, supporting him after a DUI arrest and celebrating his epic win at the Masters in 2019 with this hug. And she was with him when he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom at the White House. Rachel Yucatel, whose podcast Misunderstood launches next week, also signed an NDA after her affair with Woods ended. She fought unsuccessfully to have it overturned. I don't think that in human nature, you know, a tiger changes its stripes. So I think that um, you know, we're, we're going to see a lot of the same patterns that we've seen in the past. Tiger's turbulent private life is haunting him again. Now, in the video, uh, Inside Edition yesterday, had lots of uh, video and pictures of this woman. And, you know, not, uh, not as my dad would say, not exactly an oil painting. I'm not really sure what was going on there. All I know is she's gone from like a $50 million mansion to a Motel 6 down the street. All right, it was on this date in 1989. Louis Anderson did the first of two shows at the Westport Playhouse. Maybe you were there. I was uh, emceeing that whole thing. It was on this date in 1971 that I pestered the school administration of St. Lawrence High School for so long that they finally just sort of gave up. And one day, the uh, all the guys showed up for gym class, and one of the Christian brothers was standing there going, you don't have to change clothes you don't have to do anything we're going to do something different here today and the guys are all looking at each other like wait a minute is gym class we don't have to have gym they go no just stay in your regular clothes don't change and uh, everybody meet in the gym and uh, to their surprise to their surprise a video presentation from yours truly by the way when i say video this was real to real videotape and this was obviously years before this was 10 years before vcrs came out all right what I did is I told the administration, I said, look, you know, we're doing this. We videotape all the basketball games. I do the play-by-play, and then it just sits on a shelf. Why don't you uh, take these videotapes and play them in study halls? And maybe more people will come to the games. Maybe they'll go, hey, that's pretty exciting. It looks like everybody's having fun. And I'm sitting up there going, bounce pass to the corner. He puts it up from 20. Swish! And so they did. They <laughs> talked him into it. And it was those tapes, by the way, those tapes from high school that I used at Northern Illinois University when I walked into the campus radio station in the fall of 1971 and said, this is what I want to do. And I actually had tape of me, uh, you know, doing a broadcast wasn't going out over the air, but it was going to a videotape machine. And that's, uh, I became the first freshman ever in the history of WKDI DeKalb to have their own show. Yep, that's where it all started. Back on this date, 1985, those of you who were around in the old morning zoo days will remember that they gave us five trips to Jamaica to give away. And so we put together a promotion called Jamaica Tape for the morning zoo. Jamaica tape, get it? Jamaica tape. And people did, and people won them, and we went off to Jamaica a couple of months later. It was me and Deanne Lane standing on top of the Channel 5 news van 
in front of the fabulous Fox Theater back on this date in 1987 when Paul Simon and Lady Smith Black Mombazo came into the Fox Theater and Deanna and I were up there having a good old time. It was on this date, 1989. I departed for Florida to Cardinal Spring Training where we shot the TV special. JC went to Cardinal Spring Training and all we got was this lousy TV show which won an Emmy, by the way. Got a Mercedes on this date, 1988. Sticker price was 61 I got it for 53 Had it for 10 years. At the end of the 10 years, it only had 49,000 miles on it, and I sold it for $26,000. It'll be the birthday on Sunday of one Mr. Jamie Allman, who I just heard from a couple of weeks ago, just out of nowhere. Hadn't uh, exchanged messages with him in quite some time. Seems like he's doing okay. I packed my bags for Houston, Texas on this date back in 2013. My wife and my daughter had to stay behind to uh, execute the, uh, the the move, closing on the house and all that sort of stuff. It was on this date back in 2013. On this date, 1985, I had been dating a, oh, my sister who has a, a, a an odd sense of humor would have referred to Kim as a cupcake. She was small. She was absolutely beautiful. She had one of those Farrah Fawcett type hairdos, you know. I mean, she was just an absolute total knockout. I mean, had an absolutely torrid romance. She had been dating a guy for quite a while, and I don't know, he was like, you know, I need my freedom, one of those guys. And, uh, and and so they broke up, and so she started dating me. And like I said, we had this this torrid romance for about two months. And then one day I got a call, and she said, um, he showed up at my door with two dozen roses and an engagement ring, so I can't see you anymore. And that was a very, very bad day for me. That was a very, very bad day. And so I was really depressed for quite a while. And about two months later, and this sounds like something like a letters to penthouse or something. I swear it's true. I'm telling you this because nothing like this has ever happened to me in my entire life. She started showing up at my house like almost almost every Friday afternoon for about a month and a half where she would, uh, shall we say, pleasure me in about the best way that a guy likes to be pleasured. She did not want me to do a thing to her. I tried. No, no, you just you just relax. I'm like, yeah, but this is unfair. It was like totally against the way I think. No, 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 just just. And so that went on for about a month and a half. And then she stopped uh, showing up. And a couple of months later, she was married. And I guess I will never know. I will never know what prompted her to uh, do what she did. But she left me. She left me with an indelible memory. Let's put it that way. And then it was on this date in 1998 that we outsmarted KMOX. Right? There used to be that big battle for Keener Plaza on opening day, and we had done our show. You know, you do the morning show with all the baseball stuff, and then we would pop back up in the afternoon and do another, like, uh, oh, you know, 93-minute countdown to the first pitch or something, and people would gather around, and we'd have some ticket upgrades for people. We gave away a bunch of Cardinal stuff. We had uh, games and prizes. and just, It was really, really a lot of fun, and it was a big gathering point for everybody. So we did that for, like, two years, and, um, you know, the trick was that you had to go to the city and officially reserve Keener Plaza for opening day. 
So we heard that KMOX was going to try to take over Keener Plaza and push us out of there because they were getting very concerned about the fact that we were drawing a bigger opening day crowd for our deal than they were. And so, um, you know, we sent, I still remember, it was Kathy Kelly, the daughter of the late, great blues broadcaster Dan Kelly, who deserves a star on the St. Louis Walk of Fame in U-City, by the way, and doesn't have one, and it's embarrassing, and come on, somebody do something about that. It's not Joe Edwards' fault. He only gets one vote. It's this board that they have, and the board's got their heads up their asses, and they don't understand what an egregious omission this is, so you guys please get on it. But I digress. So we sent Kathy over to the city, and uh, she fills out the form and gets the uh, stamp of approval, and boom, we're set for opening day. A couple of days later, we get a call from the city, and they're like, uh, yeah, going to have to go ahead and ask you to find a different place to do opening day because, uh, well, we... We sort of fixed the glitch. What they did is they sent Marty Hendon, who was one of the marketing people for the St. Louis Cardinals, they sent him down to the city, and somehow, I don't know what he did or what he said, but they pulled it right out from under us and gave it to KMOX. And I never spoke to that motherfucker again. We used to have him on the show all the time. We had him on the show all the time. We thought we were friends. All right, Jenna Ortega hosting Saturday Night Live this weekend. Jimmy Kimmel hosting the Oscars. There's a trailer I put up yesterday of a movie that's coming out June 23rd. It's with Jennifer Lawrence, and it, she's going to do this, uh, well, I call them gross-out comedies. They're not really well-written comedies. They're these you know awful things where it's just a bunch of gross stuff with poop and puke and just, you know, just ick and she's gonna do this thing now i i I don't know i can't tell from the trailer it looks semi-promising but you just never know i mean you can do lots of things with a trailer to get people in the theater and then they sit down and like oh oh no no heaven's sakes no so i don't know but it's called no hard feelings it's coming out june 23rd and i put the trailer on my facebook page the showgram with J.C. Corcoran. This is going to be very exciting for my daughter. There's a new version of the song Grease from the upcoming series Rise of the Pink Ladies. She's seriously into Grease right now. Lloyd Bridges died in Westwood, California on this day 25 years ago. He was 85. A lot of people don't know this, but this story is actually told to us by Bo Bridges. And when they were casting the TV show Cheers, the role of the coach which ended up going to Nicholas Colasanto, was offered to Lloyd Bridges. And he was not able to take it because he was doing some other movies or something. And it was just like, I got it. It was just a TV show, a TV show. Had no idea it was going to end up being fucking Cheers. So they ended up getting Nicholas Colasanto, who ends up dying. Then you bring in uh, Woody Harrelson, who I still think is one of the best actors working these days. If you see the right movies with Woody Harrelson, you will get the idea that I know what I'm talking about here. Okay. But yeah, but Lloyd Bridges was almost the coach on Cheers. And really sort of a sad and very, this, I think about this all the time because it was 2007, 16 years ago, a comedian by the name of Richard Jenny. It was really, really funny. And we play stuff from him from time to time. 
and he'd been having uh, psychotic episodes and paranoia and clinical depression. And he shows up at the boat in Alton for a show, and I had him on the air, and I told him, I'll come, I'll, I'll come backstage and see you. We had met a couple of other times. We'd had him in the studio a couple of times over the years. And I was like, okay, but he didn't sound right. So he shows up on stage that night for a show. He's a little guy. He was probably only about five, seven, maybe, if that. And I swear he must have been 110 pounds. His show was outstanding. He didn't miss a beat. He was fabulous, but he looked gaunt. And I, you know, handed my business card to the uh, guard and I said, I'm supposed to be uh, talking to Richard here after the show. They went back, they got him, he came out and he was not himself. He was not himself at all. I don't know what the deal was, but I remember driving home really being sort of freaked out by the whole thing. And about a month later, he'd been well, he'd been living with a television reporter in Phoenix, real cute girl, by the way, and uh, he just blew his brains out and shot himself right in the head. Oh, when I think about that, that still really bothers me. All right, birthdays today. Olivia Wilde is 39, Carrie Underwood 40, John Hamm is 52 and getting hitched, by the way, soon. He's engaged now. Paget Brewster, who was, was, she's on Criminal Minds right now, but she was on that TV show, Huff. She was so good. 54, Edie Brickell, the wife of Paul Simon and leader of the New Bohemians, 57. Sharon Stone, 65. Shannon Tweed, 66. Tom Scholes of Boston, 76. Chuck Norris, 83. Birthdays on Saturday, Johnny Knoxville, 52. The Adorable, Lisa Loeb, 55. Bobby McFerrin from St. Louis, Don't Worry, Be Happy, 73. Sam Donaldson, one of the first celebrities I ever met. That was in college. He and Ted Cabo. Ted Cabo came into my campus radio station. They had just come back from uh, being in China. They were young guys. But they spent a period of time in China, which journalists hadn't done uh, any time recently. And they were doing lots of specials and everything like that for ABC. And so got a chance to meet him. Sunday birthdays, Aaron Eckhart from The Dark Knight, 55. And also Aaron Brockovich. He was good in that, too. Daryl Strawberry, 61, I believe. Still uh, living in O'Fallon, Missouri, I think. Yeah, 61 years old. Ron Jeremy, 70. 2,300 movies under his belt, literally and figuratively. James Taylor, 75. Mitt Romney, 76. Liza Minnelli, 77. All right, the Oscars are on Sunday, and I used to make a lot bigger deal out of it than I do now, and that's because things have changed. So fewer people watch the show. So fewer people have seen any of the movies. The ratings are way down. The show just continues to be bloated. I mean, here you have people whose job it is to do show business. So you'd think that they would understand show business. And yet they come on. I love the people who look like they haven't seen a microphone in their entire lives. They come up to the podium and they sort of look at it and then they adjust it and then they bend way over and they put their mouth right on it. It's like, it's a microphone. Do you not know how to use a microphone? But like I said, I mean, it used to be a lot bigger deal. And, you know, one of the reasons why is because, you know, go back to like the 1960s, well, you didn't have all these cable channels and E and Entertainment Tonight and Access Hollywood and show business here and there and everywhere and all that sort of stuff. And so 
people would get excited to see Cary Grant or Marilyn Monroe, Jack Lemon, John Wayne. You know, that's where you saw all of those people. Now, now, as John Goodman once said, one of the reasons he wanted to move out of Los Angeles is this was like you walk around, it's like you had you had like Mary Hart in your ear all the time. There's such a proliferation of show business stuff. It doesn't, the, the Oscars aren't special anymore. And they've tried a couple of things here and there to, first of all, try to make the show shorter, and, and that never works. They have a bunch of awards for, you know, sound editing, which takes up the whole middle of the show. I mean, basically, the formula is that Jimmy Kimmel comes out and he has usually some pre recorded bit that's usually pretty funny. And then he does his monologue, and people go, oh, what did he say? And then they have one or two big awards. And that's the first half hour of the show. And then the next three hours are like our next award, best use of a woodblock in a motion picture soundtrack. The nominees are, and people are like, what the fuck are you guys doing? But they're obviously not changing. You know, it's going to have to go down to like, <laughs> audience has got to drop to about a million people before anybody tries to do anything about it. And by that time, it'll be too late. The Oscars cost $59 million to put on. $59 million! $24,000 costed the 50,000 square foot red carpet. If you want to go to the Vanity Fair after party, which is the big one, it's $80,000 per couple. Actually, it's sort of weird the way this thing has been swinging back and forth. It probably had something to do with the pandemic. But uh, the show drew 16.6 million people last year, and that was up 58% from the record low back in 2021. A lot of people have never been nominated for an Oscar. When you start to think about it, you're like, wow. I mean, some of these people have been in the business. Well, let me give you Kurt Russell started doing movies when he was, I think, nine years old. He was in some of those Disney movies, okay? He's never been nominated, never won, obviously. Idris Elba, Keanu Reeves has never even been nominated. Neither has Hugh Grant, John Goodman, Steve Martin, Zoe Saldana, Bruce Willis, Ewan McGregor, or Oscar Isaac. None of them have even been nominated. Shortest Oscar speech ever, 1962. Rita Moreno, she said, I can't believe it. Good Lord, I leave you with that, and walked off the stage. There's a guy by the name of Emil Jannings. Back in 1929, Emil Jennings won Best Actor at the first Oscars, but he actually came in second in voting to Rin Tin Tin, the dog. The dog actually won, but they didn't give it to him. The nominees for Best Performance by an Actor in a Leading Role are Tom Hanks in Castaway, Tom Hanks in Gladiator, Tom Hanks in Before Night Falls, Tom Hanks in Pollock, and Tom Hanks in Quills. <laughs> we played that for the director once we had the director, Gil Cates. He was actually the uncle of Phoebe Cates, and he's he was the director for, I don't know, like 25 years, and we had him on the air the weekend before the Oscars, and we played that before the interview. He was still laughing at that at the end of the interview. All right, how many of these movies can you pick out? Shall we play again? Michael J. Crocodile Dundee. Don't be stupid. <laughs> My name is Indiana Jones. Don't worry, whatever you say. I'll be back. Oh, I am so proud of you. You know, I watched you very closely. You didn't screw up once. That's Frankenstein. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Nothing is over until we decide. 
decide it is. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! I have a sentimental weakness for my children, and I spoiled them, as you can see. Rocky Balboa? Never heard of him. I see dead people. Yeah, baby! <laughs> what you got in there is good to eat. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. Hey, bud, <laughs> let's party! Do we have any Mexican-Americans with us today? Well, Buenos Dias! Listen, I'm gonna go. Uh, it's been really nice talking to both of you guys. <laughs> Absolutely. The pleasure's all on this side of the table, trust me. Good luck with your layoffs, all right? I hope your firings go really well. Show me the money! Don't interrupt me, honey. It might happen. Yeah, and monkeys might fly out of my butt. Hooray for Holly. Now, Joan, uh, I was yes. a, big, a big fan of yours as you were coming up with the business, and uh, a lot of people, a lot of comedians, uh, comedians, I should say, uh, really owe a lot to you for having blazed the trail early on. Something happened in the 80s where you started to lose me, and I'll tell you where it was. It was like the, I'm interested. It was the. Com- don't bother. No, you want to know? No. I don't give a. I, I hate to tell you know. what. I want to I'm going to say where. The, I don't care. I, I lost you. Know. Screw you. I don't I care. I think I don't want to know. I want to know. I don't want to know because this it's 2001. This is an interview. I have interview. a special on E at nine o'clock. This is an or eight interview. o'clock, depending if it's Central Time. I have a like, fashion review on Saturday. I have a. I'm not interested. Don't give me negative. I'll tell you. You're stuck in a local station. Stop being mean to each other. What is this? I. Get up to have a nice interview, and you're gonna tell me. I didn't tell you. I had a career for 31 years. I didn't tell and you. You don't like me from the 80s. I, Go to hell. I am. Go to hell. I, I'm not interested. And watch 9 p.m. April 1st, Sunday. <laughs> That's what I'm here to talk about on E. And Saturday, the fashion review. Saturday afternoon, Saturday night. I don't want your critique. Take your critique and put it where the sun don't shine. I'm out of here. <laughs> with the Oscars just one week away, Million Dollar Baby is generating quite a buzz with its seven nominations. Here to talk about his nomination for Best Supporting Actor, Mr. Morgan Freeman. Uh, Mr. Freeman, are you there? I couldn't believe it was happening. <laughs> Me, Morgan Freeman, about to do Weekend Update. Mr. Freeman, where are you? Give me a second, I'm narrating. <laughs> Here I am. Aww, there you go. Thank you, Connolly, for having me, ladies. Oh, our pleasure, Mr. Freeman. Congratulations on your nomination. You must be very excited. Well, as always, I'm honored. But it's not the first time I've been nominated for an Oscar playing the role of a oh, for white person's friend who just narrates the film and just, just the same old, same old. Kind of old hat for me. I've made a career out of helping white folks solve their problems in movies. <laughs> Saving their lives, giving them advice. But no more. No, sir. I think it's time Morgan Freeman helped himself. And I'm not talking about saving the world. I'm not talking about making people laugh. I'm talking about a grade A, flat out, no holes barred love scene. I wanna get freaky with some young hottie like every other leading man over 50. Hell, I'm running out of time. No more advice like get busy living or get busy dying. I just wanna get busy, period. I don't wanna be driving, Miss Daisy. I want to be riding, Miss Davis. And you know, come to think of it, I've made 15 films with Ashley Judd. What's a brother got to do to get some of that? 
So please, if anybody's listening, just write me a script where there's a love scene, and when you see me in the bed, I'll show you a true Oscar-winning performance. Morgan Freeman, everybody! Carol, that incredibly memorable scene in Caddyshack where Bill Murray has got that grass whip and he's just whacking the tops of the flowers off. Did you inspire him to perform that scene that way? Yeah, I used to, I was, I tried jogging for a while and uh, to keep, for for the last quarter mile or half mile, I used to pretend I was coming into the Olympic Stadium and I would be uh, Bob Costas calling it, you know, and he's coming in, you know, he's in the lead. So I, I asked Bill. The the scene was written. All it says in the script is that Carl's out there, uh, cutting, practicing his golf swing, uh, cutting the tops off flowers with a grass whip. You know, and I said, well, I, I always with Murray, I always figure he might as well be talking, even if there's no. <laughs> he's just you never know what he's going to say, and it's always funny. So I said, Bill, you know, do you ever like pretend you're the announcer when you're doing a sport? You know, everybody must do that. And he said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. He said, don't say anything else. I know exactly what to do. <laughs> and he, so he must have, God knows, if, if he was even doing that Cinderella story for, to himself, you know, before we made the movie, you know, because he went right into it. He just knew it or something. As I understand it, when you wrote Airplane and actually sent it to the agents to be distributed to people like Robert Stack and Lloyd Bridges and Peter Graves and people like that, that they read it and they didn't get it. And they were like, well, you want comedy actors to do yeah. this. You don't want real actors. I remember we, we met with Peter Graves and he said, well, the script is very funny. My, my kids think it's funny and everything. <laughs> and uh, But why do you want me? Why don't you get uh, uh, Harvey Corman or Don DeLuise? Those are the reigning comedy kings of the time. Harvey Corman. And so we said, uh, Peter, no, no, you are the joke. Leslie was the one guy, he really got it. In mm-hmm. fact, he later told us, he told his agent, I don't care what you do, but get me this movie. I will do it for nothing. I will pay them. Jackie Gleason in Casablanca. You're getting on that plane with Vic Laszlo. Oh, you're getting on that plane, all right? And I know that you know that I know that you're getting on that plane. I gotta ask you, you brought up as good as it gets. Uh, I know that you do a Jack Nicholson impersonation. Could I get you to do that? And by the way, have you ever done that in his presence? You know, uh, when we shot uh, As Good As It Gets and I had to uh, do that particular scene, uh, um, uh, <laughs> Jack was in the house that day. <laughs> uh, I didn't do it, you know, in the scene I do it to uh, uh, the woman I'm, I'm working off of, and but he actually was uh, in, in, on set. And uh, so I, I just kind of would, like, I was whispering to the director, is there any chance we can get Jack the hell out of here, please? Maybe get lunch or something? Because <laughs> uh, I was very uncomfortable with the idea of him him in there. But when I when I saw the movie for the first time, he was sitting next to me, so I was kind of watching with one eye on the screen and one eye at, at him to see how he's going to react. But, he, you know, he's okay with it. I, I, I'm not the first person to, uh, to emulate Jack's very unique voice and mannerisms. Which, of course, goes something like this. Well, Jack, I've got nothing to say to you. For God's sakes, I'm standing here without words coming out of my mouth. <laughs> Whoa! Oh, wow. Wait, wait, I, I have a much better one that I'll do, though. Yep. All right, you ready for this? Yep. I, I never do this, but I'm going to do it because I feel, I don't know, something special's happening here. <laughs> All right, you ready? <laughs> yeah. Good evening, everybody. I'm Ted Koppel. This is Nightline. And forgive me for sounding overzealous on this one particular point. Nurse Betty has arrived. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) That And you remember the day you were sitting at the piano and 
comes to you. Tell me about that. Well, because I was very worried about it. It was a big two and a half minute section segment that was nothing but music. I mean, the fireworks and stuff like that, I think, came later. Uh, But I knew I had to write something. I had to come through. You know, it was a case of I just had to do something that that would get him around the bases and stir people a bit uh, for the sake of the movie. I mean, there was like I felt like there was like a $30 million movie sort of riding on it. Maybe that's presumptuous, but I mean, it, it had to work. It had to. And so I was, it scared me more than most days. And people would say, who are real baseball fans, only a true lover of the game would have been able to conceive of that music going with that scene. Do you consider yourself a baseball fan? Oh, yeah. Tremendous baseball fan, but that isn't true. I mean, you know, uh, Beethoven would have done even better. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, congratulations on 22 years. You know, the cool thing always to say is, hey, we wish you another 22. I don't know what you'd look like or what I'd look like, but what the hell, we'll say it anyhow. Well, Roger and I have always had this fantasy, you know, that if we did another 22, we would have attendant nurses behind us <laughs> if we were, uh, you know, giving our reviews. Probably the nurses would start talking and be a whole lot more interesting uh, than we were, and that would be the show. I know how you could end the show. You could say, and until then, the balcony is accessible. <laughs> Very, very good. Gene, very great good. to talk to you Don't be again. too clever or I'll have to get rid of Rob. <laughs> Thanks, Gene. We'll be watching here on Channel 4 in St. Louis. Great to talk to you. A pleasure, JC, always. Hi, Kenny. It's JC. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. All right. I got a bunch of questions. A lot of stuff I want to talk to you about. Let's start here, though. You know, in the 70s and 80s, you had three huge hits with songs used in movies. I'm All Right for Caddyshack, Danger Zone, Top Gun, and Footloose, movie of the same name. That was a real phenomenon. How did it all work, though? Were those songs written for the movie? Were the songs designed to be played on radio to try to get people to see the movie? How did all that work? Well, it... It wasn't quite as thought out as that back then. You just wanted a, a song to go with the movie, and and if you you know got lucky, then you would uh, make a video, and MTV would help a lot. But each one was slightly different. Uh, I'm all right. Uh, I had a friendship with John Peters from uh, when he and Barbara Streisand were making Stars Born. Uh, they cut one of my songs, and then from that friendship, when he went solo and created his production company that made Caddyshack, he called me, and I saw a rough cut. They didn't have an ending on it, and they didn't have the gopher in it. But I loved the movie, and, you know, Bill Murray just stole it from me. And so I, I wanted to be a part of that. And then from that, uh, one of my best friends, Dean Pitchford, had written a screenplay and wanted me to read his screenplay and maybe write some songs for that with him. So as a favor to Dean, uh, I wrote a couple songs with him called Footloose and uh, I'm Free. And then that movie suddenly, his screenplay became the biggest movie of the summer and a huge favor for me. And then I was in the studio cutting a song that I'd written for Top Gun called Playing With The Boys. And I got a call from Giorgio Moroder who said, you know, the band that was going to sing Danger Zone was Toto. And I guess the lawyer screwed it up and they had to drop out. 
And so he needed a singer, and he said, you know, you're in the studio. Can you come over tomorrow and sing? I need, you know, I need to cut this yesterday. Basically, I said, is, is it up-tempo? He said, yeah. I said, I'm there. Those uh, are amazing stories. I never would have guessed that that would be the backstory on that stuff. Yeah. So much of a career is blind luck. You just happen to be in the right place at the right time. At you the right time. Exactly. Robert Redford. As I said, my family couldn't afford, afford a movie. In those days, a movie was... For 35 cents, you walked to a neighborhood theater, standalone theater, and you saw two features. You saw serials, Wonder Woman, Flash Gordon, Tarzan. You saw two cartoons, Donald Duck, you know, whatever, Bugs Bunny. And then you saw a Pathé newsreel that showed you what was going on in the front, the war that was going on. So film was a cultural experience, but I didn't know it. It was just what you got. And for me, it was just entertainment. It wasn't until years later that I was in the business making films and suddenly I found myself in a mall with 20 screens and thin walls and people being shoved into the theaters like cattle and hustled out as fast as possible, only showing one feature, getting them into the concession stands as quickly as possible because they made more money. I realized that, that film has lost a lot of its magic from when I saw it as a kid. He took stuff for granted that you now look at it and said, God, what a, it was a cultural experience. Film was a cultural experience. You had documentaries in the form of newsreels. You had animation in the form of cartoons. You had shorts, because I think shorts are wonderful. And then you had two main features. And it was all in one experience. I think that's been lost. So of course I feel bad about a lot of things I think were wonderful that you'll never even know about. And, and your next generation won't have a clue about. I just would hate to see the best part of America be reduced to photographs and old newsreels.